Welcome. Please accept Jim and John's invitation to join them as they once again ask each other, what do you think about? Hey, John, the holiday season is upon us. We here in Columbus have received some ground-sticking snow. At least it was here yesterday. It's all melted now. But uh, neighbors are putting up lights and other Yuletime decorations. So, yeah, it's here. And it's one of my favorite holidays. Well, along with Halloween, Thanksgiving, New Year's, Easter, July 4th, Memorial Day, Labor Day. Oh, and my birthday. Those are all good holidays, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. So what'd you guys do for uh, Thanksgiving in this year of the plague? Well, we did uh, nothing, really. Uh, we saw no one face-to-face. -face. We had a few FaceTime sessions with the kids, and uh, we still did cook a Thanksgiving dinner, though. Needless to say, we've had that same dinner for the following four days, and I still wound up throwing away some stuff. I was totally sick of it. Yeah, I cleaned out our fridge yesterday because I'd, I'd had enough. The turkey was all gone, but some of the sides were left over, and they were four days old. Yeah, like like the, the hard-as-a-brick stuffing? Yeah, yeah. So we had a small one here. It was just me and the wife, and all three kids were here. And super fanboy Alan from Waverly came by. Oh, well, that's excellent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Alan graced our Thanksgiving gathering. I figured since he and Rod share an apartment, if one or the other of them had the Rona, then the other one had it, and she was going to bring it here. So, But yeah, he was a nice guy. Oh, good. That's good to hear. Yeah. yeah. But now Thanksgiving's over and done. Let's move on to the next big holiday. So, what do you think about strange Christmas traditions? Before you answer that, let me qualify the question. Strange in the sense that they're outside of the normal Christian nativity or secular Santa Claus that we have here in the States. Well, um, I've heard of a few unusual traditions coming from Europe, but I don't really know what you have in mind, so fire away. Traditions of witches and demons that I wasn't even aware of seem to abound the only reference to a ghastly side of the holiday here in the U.S. is that one odd line from the song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Christmas ghost, right? Yeah, ghost stories. We never told ghost stories at Christmas. Yeah, we did. It's the, what is it? Uh, um, Charles Dickens. Um uh, Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, yeah. Right, but that, that's the only the only one I'm aware of. And at one point, it was a part of the holiday, almost like Halloween. Is you'd sit around and tell stories to scare everybody. Hmm. Well, we kind of lost that one, didn't we? Yeah, we did, unfortunately. But with Christmas fast approaching, I thought we'd look at some of these non-standard practices. Again, non-standard, at least as far as the U.S. version of Christmas is concerned. Okay, let's do it. First, let's go over to Germany, or the German area. Germany, Austria, that area. They have Perkta, who is also known as Berkta. She was an alpine goddess. I've never heard of Perkta. Well, she had a couple of guises. One was a beautiful maiden, and then the flip side, she was a haggard old crone. 
just as a side note, I think that's the general progression. Well, yeah, they all end up that way. Yeah, but don't tell them. Uh, sometimes in the crone manifestation, she possessed an iron hook nose and dressed in rags. And she had one large foot called a goose or swan foot. Jacob Grimm, uh, the famous Grimm brothers, thought that this symbolized her ability to shapeshift. So she must have been able to turn into a goose or a swan. In Bavarian and Austrian folklore, Perkta would wander the midwinter countryside, entering homes during the 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany, which falls on January 6th. Wow, so this was after the Christian Christmas holidays appeared. Her story actually began before Christianity, rooted in Alpine paganism. But as Christianity began to overthrow the old beliefs, the people retained some of the old ways and they morphed her into the new story. Like the later Santa Claus, Perkta could perceive which children and young servants were well-behaved and hard workers. The next morning, the good would find a silver coin in their shoe or in a pail. But the bad ones weren't so lucky. They would have their abdomen slit open by the goddess, who then removed their stomach and intestines, refilling the cavity with straw and pebbles. Man, that's nasty. <laughs> yeah. She was also known to do her belly-slitting act on anyone who ate something other than the traditional meal of fish and gruel on the night of her feast day. <laughs> that sounds horrible. Yeah, it does. Uh, I don't like fish and gruel. Yeah, me neither, actually. But uh, I don't remember learning about a St. Perchta at any point. So I checked. She has no official feast day, but she seems to be strongly associated with the Epiphany. So maybe that's what they mean. And to placate her, you had to leave a bowl of porridge out and clean your fucking house. I mean, you're going to get holiday visitors anyway. Well, maybe not this year, what with the Rona and everything going around. But still, would it kill you to clean your fucking house at holiday time? Yeah, I think this is generally some sound advice right there. You can't be too careful, right? Never. So here's what I always thought was weird, Jim. What do you know about mistletoe? Well, it's a parasitic plant, right? Yep. Often found growing on oaks. Yep. And you have to kiss anyone standing under it. Well, it turns out that mistletoe has a long history of being associated with religious practices. Pre-Christian cultures regarded the white berries as symbols of male fertility, with the seeds resembling semen. The Celts particularly saw mistletoe as the semen of the Celtic god of thunder called Terranus. And the ancient Greeks referred to mistletoe as, quote, oak sperm, end quote. Or, quote, acorn jizz, end quote. I'm not sure they called it that, but sure, why not? Ancient Romans put boughs of mistletoe over their doorways as part of their annual Saturnalia Festival, which took place between December 17th and December 23rd of each year, eh, roughly the same time period as our modern Christmas. They believed it was a symbol of peace, love, and understanding, and it would protect the household. Yeah, so that's where the kissing must have come from. Well, mistletoe continued to be associated with fertility and vitality throughout the Middle Ages. People believed it would protect you from witches and demons. Remember those Christmas witches and demons? Hey, 
And by the 18th century, it had also become incorporated into Christmas celebrations around the world. In the Western world, mistletoe became associated with Christmas as a decoration under which lovers are expected to kiss. One licentious variation of this tradition dictated, though, that a man was allowed to kiss any woman standing underneath mistletoe, and that bad luck would befall any woman who refused the kiss. You know, that's the same thing I would tell women who refuse to kiss me. Yep, yep, I understand, but it seems a little creepy nowadays, doesn't it? Um, but what more do you have? Uh, let's stick around the Germanic portion of Europe and go to my personal favorite Christmas oddity, the Krampus. How freaking awesome is this tradition? Yeah, I heard of this one a few years back, and it really is quite enjoyable. For those of you not in the know, Krampus is a companion of St. Nicholas in Austria, Bavaria, Northern Italy, and a few other countries in that general area, who is a holdover from the pre-Christian Yule celebrations. He's a furry, goat-horned demon with a humanoid figure with a long, tapering tongue that lolls from fanged jaws. One foot is man-like with talons, and the other is a cloven hoof. And some traditions claim that the Clampus is the son of Hell, the Norse goddess of the underworld. He carries chains that he jangles about and a bundle of burst switches with which he thrashes bad children. Yeah, I always felt like those bad children needed a good thrashing. Not that I ever thrashed my own little angels. I refer specifically to your little demons. Yeah, yes, yes, they do. And, you know, I think maybe if you uh, slip old Krampus a 20 or so, he might give you a good thrashing, too. Yeah, probably would, actually. Like Santa, he carries a large sack or a basket, but he doesn't pull toys out of it. He shoves bad kids in into it and drags them off. Man, I think most parents have hoped for a Krampus visit at one point or another. December 5th, the eve of St. Nicholas Day, is known as Krampusnacht. On this day, both St. Nicholas and Krampus come to town. The good children get a gift from St. Nick, but the bad kids are dealt with by Krampus, who beats them with his switches. However, I have read that in more recent time, this has been watered down to merely receiving a bundle of twigs rather than the traditional beating. Perhaps to convince him not to drag off the children, families offered Krampus schnapps. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a fair trade. And I don't think it's wise. I mean, who knows what he's going to drag off if you get him schnookered up on schnapps, man. Eh, since about the late 1800s, Krampus Carton, holiday cards associated with this demon, have become popular. I saw one of these. That's how I became aware of Krampus. Well, I sent you one last year. Well, maybe that's where I saw it. Yeah, you were on my Christmas list. Some towns host a Krampus Lauf or Krampus Run. This is a parade of Krampus-clad people marching through town in a wild celebration. Some people dress up like St. Nick. Some as angels and some as Perkta, who we just finished talking about. I have a, uh, a glass that I use for my Christmas drinking. It has season's beatings on it and a picture <laughs> of Krampus thrashing a child. That's excellent. Yes. Makes the beer taste that much better. Yes, it does. Well, Old St. Nick does have other companions based on other areas within Germany. Uh, in some areas, Necht Rupert accompanies Santa Claus. 
His origin story is unclear. One tradition claims he was a farmhand who assisted the saint. Another claims he was a foundling who was discovered and raised by the kindly Saint Nicholas. He walks with a limp. He wears black or brown robes with a pointed hood. He carries a long staff and a bag of ashes. And he goes around asking the kids if they pray. That's an odd question to be asking them. Uh, yeah, I, I hope he hadn't just watched um, Deliverance. Yeah. Ew. If they do pray, he treats them to gifts of apples, nuts, or gingerbread. If they don't, he hits them with his bag of ashes. Well, that sounds kind of weird. I mean, other than some dirt, what would getting whacked with a bag of ashes do? Well, it would be a nasty surprise if you're expecting him to hand you a gift and bam, you get smacked with a bag of ashes. Mm -hmm, that's true. And maybe the stain marks the children as bad so everyone knows. You know, sort of a kitty version of the mark of Cain. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too. In the Netherlands, Swarte Pit, which translates as Black Pete, accompanies Sinterklaas. He is black because he's a moor from the Iberian Peninsula. Traditionally, he arrives by steamboat, which has sailed from Madrid. Swarte Piet first appeared in 1850 as a character in a book by Jan Schenkam. Before this time, St. Nicholas was nice to good children and less than nice to the naughty ones. But people decided that his image needed to be softened, but they still wanted the bad kids to be punished. Enter the character of Swarte Pete. Well, I can see that the Santa Claus marketing machine was hard at work already. Swarte Pete's appearance is, to say the least, unfortunate in today's world. Actors portraying this servant of Sinterklaas would paint their faces black and rouge their lips with bright red lipstick, reminiscent of old minstrel costumes. Yeah, that's not really correct nowadays. Yeah. And with uh, the positive advances in racial awareness, Pete's look is changing to meet the new social climate. He's now evolving into a sooty Pete in some places. The total blackface is being replaced by sooty smudges on the cheeks with the actor's natural skin tone visible. And some portrayals just totally remove all of the coloring. But... You just can't, you know, please everybody because traditionalists now are pissed off that they're changing him because he was offensive. But but that's what he was. This is where he was portrayed. And you can't ever change a tradition. So, yeah. Yeah, right. We change all the traditions, obviously, since we've in incorporated all these people into Christmas. Well, hell yeah. And he didn't exist before 1850. Right. He was made up in a book. Yeah. So I wonder if it's relevant that this guy is a more. I mean— if he was a Moor, then he's not only a black guy, but he was also a Muslim, right? So is there maybe some anti-Muslim sentiment mixed up in this? Could be. Could be. I don't I don't know. I didn't I didn't find anything about anti-Muslim sentiment, but well, at least in this day and age, I could see where uh that would be the case. Well, enough of that guy. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, another companion at St. Nicholas is the Belschnickel. 
He's an ill-tempered bearer of Christmas gifts in the Palatinate region of Germany, which is also known as the Rhineland Falls and of the Pennsylvania Dutch in the United States. And recently, he was reintroduced to popularity in the United States by the sitcom The Office. You know, I never really watched The Office. I mean, I can't say I've ever seen a complete episode. I really never wanted to watch that sort of thing since I've worked in an office my entire professional career. I have basically lived Dilbert. But anyway, back to Belschnickel. While he's listed as a companion of St. Nicholas slash Santa Claus, unlike the other companions of the Christmas saint, Belschnickel travels alone. He wears furs and sometimes a mask with a long tongue sticking out of the mouth, kind of reminiscent of the Krampus. Beneath his furs, his clothing is all dirty and torn, and he carries a switch or a whip for beating naughty children. But within his pockets, he carries cakes and nuts for the uh, nice children. What a treat is that, huh? A cookie from a filthy old man's soiled pockets. Wow. I think I met this guy once at the bus station. Yeah, I, I think I recall you telling that story. But uh, wasn't it in the bus station lavatory cubicle? Yeah, well, you know, wherever. Anyway. In the Pennsylvania Dutch tradition, Belsnickel would come around about one to two weeks before Christmas Day, knocking on the windows or doors with his switch. And once he was allowed inside, children would have to answer a question he asked or sing a song for him. Belsnickel would then toss treats on the floor. However, if a child was greedy and leaped too quickly for the treats, Belsnickel would switch him. Uh, no, thank you. I think I'll pass on this particular Christmas tradition. Yeah, I mean, this is shitty for the kids all around. He carries the stuff in his filthy pockets, and then he throws it on the floor. Yeah. Yay. And don't you dare try to get to it, because I'll switch you for it. So, Jimmy, uh, when's your birthday? Uh, it's in the summer. Did you know that in Germany and Poland, if a child was born on Christmas Eve, they were considered more likely to be a werewolf? This seems to be a good place to stop and talk about anchor podcasting. Right. Let's. And we're back. What strange creatures do you have for us now, Jim? Let's travel south from Germany down to Italy, where uh, La Befana Viendi Nota, the Befana, comes at night. And who is La Befana, you might ask? She's an old witch that delivers gifts on Epiphany Eve. It has been suggested that she finds her origins in Strania, a goddess of, among other things, the New Year. La Bufana wears a black shawl and is covered in soot because, like Santa Claus, the chimney is her means of trespass. You know, this really seems like a good reason to not have a chimney. It does sort of beg the question, though. How often were chimneys used as a means of gaining entrance to a home? I mean, everybody's coming in the chimney. Hey, as often as necessary. I guess that's true. La Bufana flies through the night sky astride a broom as does any self-respecting witch, right? Oh, and by the way, don't sit up looking out the window for her, or she'll crack you with her broomstick, adding assault and battery to trespassing. And everybody's whacking everybody. Yeah, I love it. Here's Befana's backstory. The three magi, or the wise men, asked her where they could find the baby Jesus, but she had no idea. She did, though, offer the trio a night's lodging 
in her very clean home. She was known as the best housekeeper in the village. Next morning, the Magi invited Befana to accompany them on their quest, but she refused, claiming that she had too much housework to do. However, later, she changed her mind and tried to follow after the wise men, but was unable to locate them or the baby Jesus. Uh, since she couldn't give the Christ child a gift, she now gives all the good children toys and candies. And the bad get a bag of coal, garlic, or onions. Actually, that doesn't sound so bad to me. Right. I mean, especially in Italy. I could use that stuff. I, I think I do nightly. While now a widespread Italian Yuletime myth, originally the Bafana story was only found in the vicinity of Rome where it originated. That's pretty cool. Continue. Next door to Italy, we go to Greece and talk about their Christmas goblins. The Calacanceros are evil goblins that come up from the Earth's core, temporarily quitting their job of sawing at the world tree to terrorize homes during the 12 days of Christmas. No two regions of Greece describe these goblins in the exact same way. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're large, but they're typically black and hairy and have the features of animals. On Christmas, they come up to the Earth's surface and cause mischief during the night throughout the Yuletide. And then they disappear on January 6th, heading back to their subterranean homes. The Feast of the Epiphany has a lot more associated with it than I ever knew. I'll say, I never even knew it had a feast, for crying out loud. That's Protestant Christianity for you. Now, let's travel to Catalonia on the Iberian Peninsula. They have two crazy traditions there that I love and hold second only to the Krampus. El Caganir, which means the shitter, and Tio de Nada, which is the Christmas log. El Caganir, he's the pooping man, and he is a big part of the Catalonian Christmas tradition and a part of their nativity scenes. Oh, my. He's a character that's included in nativity sets. He's usually lurking around somewhere in the rear with, of the other figurines. The rear. <laughs> and he's the shitter. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I killed me. Uh, anyway, he's done drop trow and is squatting down to take a dump. And if your nativity set doesn't have one, it's bad luck for you. Why? Why do they even have this? And I checked, and yes, you can really buy an El Caganer nativity figure. Yes, you can, and I need one. The figure first appeared in the late 17th, early 18th century, and he's thought to represent the fertilization of the earth for good harvest. He's also a symbol of health. What's better for the body than a good, healthy shit? Well, not much really, but I just never associated a good dump with my nativity set. <laughs> but that's not the only Christmas turd character from Catalonia. T.O.D. Nadal is the Christmas log. And beginning on December 8th, the nightly ritual of feeding T.O. begins. You also cover him with a blanket to keep him warm through the uh, winter night. You see, the kids have to take good care of their log by feeding it, keeping it warm, so they can take part in the following on Christmas Day. They pick the log up, move it into the fireplace, if you have one, 
And the children sing this little ditty while they beat on the log until it uh, excretes presents and candies from its hollow center. The song goes something like this. Shit log, shit nougats, hazelnuts, and mato cheese. If you don't shit well, I'll hit you with a stick. Shit log! Yeah, traditionally before pounding the shit out of this poor log, the kids have to leave the room and go to another place of the house, usually warming up their beating stick next to a fire. The child's relatives use this as an opportunity to put the presents under the T.O.'s blanket, which the child will then remove one at a time between verses of this sadistic, twisted song. You got it all wrong, brother. That log shits those things. And if you want to hear the song, there are plenty of videos out there showing it. Little kids beating on this log and singing this song. It's kind of cute. I, uh, I'll take your word for it. Up in the Nordic countries, they have uh, Christmas gnomes. These gnomes appear as elderly bearded humanoids, ranging from the, a few inches to half the height of a full-grown human. And they possess great strength and are solitary in nature. So much like our garden gnomes then. Right. Yeah. And uh, depicted very much like that. And in the late 1800s, Christmas gnomes emerged as part of the northern Yuletide traditions. In Sweden, they're called Yuletomten. In Denmark, they're called Julemanden or Julenissen. In Norway, they're called Julenissen. And in Finland, they're called Julutontu. When the holiday season rolls around, families are expected to leave the uh, tomti, which is the word for gnome. You leave it a bowl of porridge with a generous pat of butter. This will ensure another year of work from the gnome around the house. If the payment is not given, the gnome will vex the household with pranks and make life difficult in general. Well, I think I could certainly spare a bowl of buttery porridge for a little help with housework. That's a good deal. I agree. The Yule Tomtar, which is the Christmas gnome, serve as the Nordic version of Santa Claus, bringing gifts at Yule time. However, they just come in through the door rather than sliding down the chimney. I always thought the chimney was preferred because it wasn't barred or locked, right? You'd think the Yule Tomtar would share this front door entry idea with Santa. It seems easier. You'd think. Now, in Sweden... They also have the Yulebakken. It's a pre-Christian Scandinavian Yule symbol, preceded Santa Claus as the bringer of gifts. It's connected with the god of Thor, whose chariot was drawn by two goats. Now he's just a Christmas ornament made out of straw and ribbons that hangs from Swedish Christmas trees. It's funny how a lot of these pagan traditions just got a good Christian whitewashing around Christmas time. Oh, exactly. That's how we, that's how we lured them into the faith. Once, long ago, it was thought in Norway that December 24th was a day when witches and spirits would roam the earth. To keep witches away, brooms and cleaning supplies were hidden before Christmas, thereby cheating the witch of her traditional mode of transportation. Now, Iceland, which is separated a bit from the uh, other Nordic countries, has a couple of its own Christmas time traditions. First, we have Grilla and Lepaludi. Since the 13th century, Icelanders have had to contend with a nasty ogress named Grilla, which translates as growler, who comes down from the mountains 
on Christmas to capture naughty children alive. She then takes them home for dinner, but she doesn't feed them. She and her husband, Lepaludi, eat the children. Grilla is described as having several tails, each of which holds a hundred bags. The bags are a sort of pre-dinner doggy bag that can hold up to 20 captured brats, which are taken home for dinner. You know, 2,000 kids is a lot of kids. Those are some hungry, hungry ogres. Yeah, maybe she doesn't always fill them, but she just has that capacity in case she gets really lucky. Planning ahead. Right. She's also said to have eyes in the back of her head, enormous ears hanging so low that they hit her nose. And if that ain't enough for you, she also has a matted beard, rotten black teeth, and hooves. I think I also ran into her once at the bus station. One old rhyme has this to say about the ogress. Down comes Grilla from the outer fields with 40 tails. A bag on her back, a sword in her hand, coming to carve out the stomachs of the children who cry for meat during Lent. Lent? Why does this mention Lent? Well, that's because Grillo wasn't originally associated with the Yule celebration, but over time she became enmeshed within it. Now, Grilla and Lepaludi have 13 troll children that come out during the 13 days leading up to Christmas. Well, evidently, during the move from Lent to Christmas, she conveniently had 13 kids. No wonder she needs to take 2,000 kids home to eat them. For each night of Yuletide, children place their best shoes by the window and a different Yule lad visits, leaving gifts for the nice girls and boys and rotting potatoes for the naughty ones. The mischief each of these 13 is responsible for is found in his name. The sheep coat clod tries to suckle ewes in the farmer's sheep sheds. Gullygawk steals the foam from buckets of cow's milk. Stubby is short and steals food from the frying pans. Spoonlicker and his brother Potscraper, well, one licks spoons and one scrapes the pots. They got the bowl licker who steals food from under the bed. Under the bed? Oh, yeah. Back in the old days, Icelanders used to sometimes store bowls of food there for midnight snacking, I guess. I guess. Then there's Door Slammer who stomps around and slams the doors, keeping everyone awake. Skier Gobbler who eats up all the Icelandic yogurt. Sausage Swiper, Window Peeper, Doorway Sniffer, Meat Hook. And Candle Stealer rounds out the 13. I think I've lived with some of these trolls. They also have a pet called the Yule Cat. This ferocious creature wanders around during the winter and eats anyone who hasn't gotten new clothes to wear on Christmas Eve. Why is everything so mean in Iceland? It's a rough habitat. In Wales, uh, the Mary Luid is a old midwinter custom that's a holdover from pagan celebrations before Christmas was introduced. Mary Luid means gray mare in English. Wales? Good luck with pronouncing all these Welsh words. I'm just going to preemptively beg forgiveness right here and give it my best. And uh, Mary Luid is probably not how you say gray mare. It's probably a lot cooler sound. Probably true. 
In its purest form, the tradition involves the arrival of a horse and its party at the door of a house or a pub, where they sing several introductory verses. Then comes a battle of wits, in which the people inside and the Mari party outside exchange challenges and insults in rhyme. At the end of the battle, which can be as long as the creativity of the two parties holds out, the Mary party enters with another song. So kind of like a rap battle. Yeah, yeah. Playing the dozens or whatever. But the horse in the above scenario is made of a horse's skull that's attached to a pole. And there's a person who's hidden under sheets who works the uh, contraption that makes the jaws move like it's talking. Like it's a puppet. You're right. Yeah. And what's any of this got to do with Christmas? Just the timing? Yeah, sounds pretty much just the timing thing. It's more of a New Year'sy thing, I think. But Christmas time goes all the way to January 6th in Europe. Again, the epiphany. Another thing they do in the United Kingdom is play Whamageddon, which is a game played during the Christmas season in which players try to go from December 1st all the way through to Christmas Day without hearing Last Christmas by Wham. Really? Who knew I was the world's most proficient player of Whamageddon? I can honestly say I haven't heard that song in forever. Knock wood. Yeah, really. If a player hears the song between those days, they're out of the game and have to post hashtag Whamageddon on social media to indicate that they have lost. The exceptions to this game are that the player can only listen to remixes and cover versions of the song, which I don't even want to hear them. Yeah, I I wouldn't have covered the damn song, but clearly the winner's prize is self-evident. They never had to listen to Last Christmas by Wham. Right. Oh, and I almost forgot. There's a Christmas tradition in Japan. It seems that one year, the KFC chicken chain put out a Christmas ad that stated KFC stood for Kentucky for Christmas. And I guess it's still a thing to go get Colonel's chicken each December 25th over there. I'm all for it. I like KFC just fine. I'll eat it. Ah, Doesn't all that make you love Christmas time even more? I definitely wish we would incorporate more of these into our U.S. version. Yeah, I think so, too. Which one of these was your favorite? Krampus. Krampus and uh, El Caganer. Yeah, I love the El Caganer. Don't be surprised if a little shitter winds up in your nativity scene. Sweet. All right, there you have it, our Christmas special, and also our last episode of our first season. Already hard at work on getting topics for next season. I think I've got all mine picked. John, you better be picking yours. I've got notions. That's good, good, good for a start. And with that, What Do You Think About is co-written by John Gordos and Jim Dumermuth. Our theme music is provided by podsummit.com. Thanks to Hunter Dubermuth for production assistance. And as always, a special thanks to you, our listeners. Please take the time to rate our podcast on your favorite listening platform and drop us a line at wdouta at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page, anchor.fm forward slash wdouta for updates on releases. 
Copyright 2020 by John Gordos and Jim Dumermuth. That's a wrap on the season. Yeah, oh my God. It's been fun. Yeah, actually, yeah. As does any self-respecting rich white. What? They don't. <laughs> Say that again. Nine, nine. Uh, yep, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you. Go ahead and do the or visit our Facebook page again. Oh, or visit our Facebook page, anchor.f. We also have. Yeah. <laughs> Are you fucking with me right now? Lag. Oh, okay. No, it's lag. <laughs> Or go ahead, do the visit. Facebook visit our page. Facebook page. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> or visit our Facebook page, anchor.fm forward slash WDOUTA for updates on releases. Now you can jump in. No, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention the. Uh... We'll unveil it next year. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs>